Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. And a warm, warm welcome to those of you in the front row. Except for you, you were stuck because you were late. I, I'm smarter than I, I look. But then a, a semi-warm greetings to those of you in the back row. And those who sing harmony in the middle, just good to have you, good to have you. Well, I get you for the next five weeks. So that means you can either run or hang in there with us because what we're going to do is, Lord willing, we're going to give you a tour of Easter these next five weeks. I, uh, I'm always concerned. Easter comes, Christmas, Easter, you know. Easter comes and, and Easter goes, and, and it just goes, flies right by, and, and I just thought, let's, let's make sure we just enjoy Easter for the whole month, so we're going to begin today with, uh, with the week before, and then next week, the day of Easter, and then the week after that, the weeks following Easter, then the week after that, your Easter, that is, your resurrection, is there going to be? And then the final point of Easter, heaven. Is that simply a myth, a hope, a hope, a wish, a wish, or is that something that's real? And Lord willing, then we'll move right into May with your new pastor. That is if you vote right, you know. Uh, you know then uh, this is going to be a great, great season, great transition together. Well, like I said, I want to get you ready for Easter. Uh, this is Palm Sunday. And um, what happens this week is really... Uh, critical because this is called Holy Week. It's called Holy Week because of the events that transpired the week before Easter. Now, some of you might be thinking, why would I care about what happened the week before? Well, because it's about Jesus. It's not about Christianity. It's not about the church. It's not about Christians. It, it, it's, it's about Jesus. I'm, I'm well aware that a lot of people distance themselves from, from the Christian faith. Uh, and, and the problem is that it's not about uh, uh, Jesus for them. It's about they're ticked at somebody in the church or Christians basically are hypocrites, emotional basket cases. They're, they're all about having to be right. And many times Christians, uh, we become a bit odious to folks outside the church. Well, here's the deal is that I don't necessarily disagree with them. I know a lot of folks who claim to be Christians and they are hypocrites, emotional basket cases, and they seem to got to be right on, on everything. But the issue here is not Christianity, and the issue here is not Christians. It's about Jesus. And the issue is, is Jesus Jesus? Remember, he's the one that stood up against religious hypocrisy. He's the one that stood up against religious emotionalism. He's the one who stood up against this whole legalism thing. And so the issue here is Jesus. And the big question about Jesus is, was he? More importantly, is he? I mean, is he around today? Because if Easter's true, he is. Well, then what's going on today? How is Easter basically affecting us today? There's a movement going on, you may be aware of it, and it's a movement by many Christians to, to rebrand Jesus. Many of the younger Christians are doing this. That's why you have the Super Bowl, Hobby Lobby, the Green family, sporting millions of dollars for two little uh, advertisements of Super Bowl. You know, he, he gets us. 
And that's why you've got this remarkable response to this TV series, The Chosen. And then then people are really blown away with this Jesus revolution, which (laughs) I was raised in Southern California in the 70s. It popped me right out of that thing. And the fact is, is that there's this desire to rebrand Jesus. And the reason is, is because for the first almost 2,000 years, the real attack on Jesus was his divinity. So the church has done really a good job to emphasize Jesus is God's son. He's divine. Some people say, well, he's the son of God. That makes him less than God. I have two sons. Does that, because they're my sons, that make them less human than I am? Of course not. That's roles. And in the same way my sons have the roles of sons, and yet they're as human as I am, so it is with God the Son. His role is in relationship to God the Father, but he is just as divine. But because we put so much emphasis on that, for some, it's almost Jesus has become an icon, untouchable deity, God, so that some people even have different saints, Jerome and others, that they can at least relate to, because Jesus is no longer relatable. So there's this movement to rebrand Jesus as far as to equally emphasize the reality he's also human. He gets us. He was on this earth. He he, he lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. See, the whole idea of this rebranding, even though a lot of Christians are reacting to this, especially my age. Boy, to my age, we, we, we get scared of everything for some reason. And we don't want anything to change, you know? The seven last words of the church. We never did it that way before. And so what happens is that, well, they're attacking Jesus. No, they're not. They're trying to get in this culture that we live in that you can talk about Jesus without getting angry. I mean, we can talk about Martin Luther or or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. Why can't we talk about Jesus? Because he gets us. And maybe if we begin to get to know him as he came incarnated to become a human being, then maybe then we come to recognize indeed the fullness of Jesus, that he's all man and he's all God. And so what's going on here is that people have real questions. And if we can get them to not be angry just because we mention the name Jesus, then maybe we can answer some of their questions. You say, like, what questions? Well, everybody has two questions. First of all, they know they live, and second of all, they know they what? They die. So the big question, does anybody have any comment on this? We live, you know, we die. Put us in a hole, flower grows, cow comes along, eats the flower. We kill the cow, we live. We die. They put us in a hole. The flower grows, the cow comes along, eats the flower, we kill the cow. We eat, we live, we die. And that cycle, people kind of go, is there something more than we're fancy manure? And so the issue comes up, does anybody, does anybody have any comment about this death thing? This life after death thing. Buddha died in 483 BC. Confucius died five years later. Muhammad died in AD 632. Socrates Plato, Gandhi, Marx, Lenin, and Lenin, Vladimir and John, they're all dead. And so they didn't really come up with any really good answers about mortality because they're dead. So where do we go from here? Why? Why should we gather together next week, call it Easter, and celebrate something? Well, the reason is... (laughs) 
It has to do with what did Jesus say that was so interesting? Unlike any other human being or being, period, what did he say that causes us to gather together on Easter next week? Well, he was the one that said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he, what? That's an interesting thing to say. Later in John 14, he would say, because I live, you shall live also. That's an interesting thing to say. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you will be with me. That's an interesting thing to say. So what happened that week before Easter? What made this week holy week? So that it would change the course of history. So you can open any ancient history textbook on ancient history, and you're going to find a someone sympathetic version of the life of Jesus, which ends with some variation of, quote, he was crucified by Pontius Pilate and died as a result. <clears throat> history. It's what follows that appears to vary in, in the records. E either there's an avoidance of the whole thing, or there's some statement like this. It was supposed by some of his followers that Jesus rose from the dead. Is Easter really a supposed kind of thing? I mean, that's quite a suppose, wouldn't you say, if it actually happened? Any student of history would have to admit that some some religion, religious explosion flamed into existence in Jerusalem shortly after that supposed res rising from the dead. Tacitus, <laughs> he's an ancient Roman writer who detested Christianity. And all the way in Rome, he writes this, quote, a great number of his, Jesus' followers, in the distant imperial capital believed so strongly in his resurrection that they gave up their lives in Nero's great persecution of AD 64. That's interesting. So what happened? What happened that transformed 11 frightened men into bold proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And every single one, without exception, as an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus Christ, sealed their testimony with their own torture, their own execution, their own blood. Without exception, everyone died. Everyone died still with the testimony of his lips that they were an eyewitness to this resurrected Jesus Christ. What happened that caused over 3,000 Jews who held the Sabbath, Saturday, as the most sacred of days? And then all of a sudden in Jerusalem, they're gathering together together on Sunday, the first day of the week, calling it the Lord's Day. What happened in history? You know, you can open your Bibles with me. I want you to look at Luke. Luke chapter 18. This is that week before. Jesus meets with the boys. He says this in verse 31. And then he took the twelve aside, and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he'll be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, mistreated, spit upon. 
And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Well, you know, Jesus, he, he read the pamphlet on crucifixion. He knew this thing was going to hurt. Why do you think in the Garden of Gethsemane he would pray? First part of his prayers, Lord, is some other way we could do this thing? See, he did not. Yes, he did. What do you think he meant when he said, Lord, can this cup be removed from me? What do you think he was asking? But immediately then he followed up with saying what? But not my will, but thy will be done. But here, verse 34, it says, But the disciples understood none of these things. I don't want to comment on their IQ, but basically, they don't get it. And the meaning of the statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were being said. So, what happened that week before? That the disciples did not get. Sometimes we kind of think we're so sophisticated because we don't believe. Well, they're pretty sophisticated because they don't believe. And they're with him. They've observed him for three years. Sunday, today, staying in Bethany with friends, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And he's riding the colt, not a donkey, the colt of a donkey. Which means most likely his feet would even drag on the side. Yeah, they probably brought the donkey colt's mother with them. But that's when you know the story that they're going in there to Jerusalem and everybody is singing Hosanna, Hosanna, right? That's a prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, And Israel, your Messiah, your King Messiah, will enter into the city riding the colt of a donkey. And that's why these people see Jesus and they had heard about John 11. They had heard that he had raised a man from the dead. Lazarus, so they think this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to basically beat up Rome and set up finally a Jewish kingdom. It was at this time that Jesus had said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not die. So these folks really expected him to lead a political revolution against Rome. That's why they were singing Hosanna, Hosanna. It's a beautiful thing, but all the word means is save now. Save now. What they could have been saying is beat the spit out of Rome now. Beat the spit out of Rome now. Because they were anticipating that Jesus was going to lead this revolution. Some of these dear folks, when it ends up that by the end of the week, it's not happening, like our pastor friend told us. Some of these folks were right there singing and what? Crucify him. Crucify him. The disappointment was great. But then Monday comes. Jesus cleanses the temple <laughs> for the second time. A few years before, according to the Gospel of John chapter 2, Jesus had visited the temple and he just saw this thing was a place of business. It was a Kmart. It was a Walgreens. And he just basically takes some rope. These people say, did Jesus ever have a bad day? <laughs> what about anger? I mean, he took rope. Made a whip out of it. He turned the tables over. I mean, that, that's talk about Rambo. Pretty serious stuff. And he's the one that warns them. This is a house of prayer. How dare you use it for a place of business? Well, that was two, three years ago. He returns the week before his crucifixion. And what does he find? 
Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. This gathering at the Temple Mount was called, quote, the Bazaar of Annas. Annas was the retired high priest. He was the father-in-law of the presiding high priest, Caiaphas. Matter of fact, five of his sons and son-in-laws became high priests after him. Kind of a little political dynasty thing going on here. And you see, what was going on is if you came, especially at Passover, and you wanted to worship, bring a sacrifice to the temple. Well, first of all, there was a required temple tax uh, that you had to pay. And, 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 of course, people coming from all over the place, they didn't have uh, coins, Hebrew coins. So you had to have the money, what? The money changers, the change, you know, and, of course, they had to have their fee. Then, of course, you bring your lamb, your animal, for sacrifice. It would be examined by the priest. And every single time, it was not qualified. Because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. A perfect lamb. I'm sorry, your, your, your lamb's not perfect. It doesn't qualify for a sacrifice. But do I have a deal for you? We have a lot of perfect lambs here. We got some excellent pigeons here. And if you pay the price, we'll give you your sacrifice. And so this whole thing was messing Messing. Jesus, when he goes and turns this thing over, he's messing with business. And when he's messing with business on that day, that Monday, well, the leaders begin the plans to kill Jesus, and the plans are put to play. What happened Tuesday? Well, Jesus returns. You expect him to run. A little dangerous. No, he returns to the Temple Mount, that morning, he's met by the Sanhedrin leaders. And they're questioning him about his authority to cleanse the temple that day before and upsetting business. But he was teaching with authority. And as he taught that day, he taught as a rabbi with the authority of a rabbi in the temple. But no, without a license. He didn't go to one of their schools. And because he didn't have one of their certificates and one of their license, he was actually preaching the teachings without a license. This really caused the leaders to be angry. But it wasn't just the fact that he was teaching. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I, I, see, I already know what I'm going to say, and that's why I start laughing. In Matthew 23, listen to what he's teaching. This is what his content is he's preaching there on the Temple Mount. You pick it up in chapter Matthew 23, verse 13. And it says here, and Jesus, and to you scribes, you wonderful, loving keepers of the souls of these dear people, may God bless, oh no, no, excuse me, read, let me read what he said. But woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering into Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around the sea and land and make one proselyte. I uh, drop on down to verse 19. You blind men, which is more important, you're the blind leading the blind. Do you see this is not going well for the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are listening to this rabbi unlicensed, and this is what he's preaching to the people there on the Temple Mount. Well, guess what? Those plans for his murder, they are proceeding. So they're getting angry. They tried to nail him with questions. Failed horribly. So the plans to kill him begins to emerge. Now we got Wednesday. 
Wednesday, Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse. That's Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He only gives it to, to three of his apostles, Peter, James, and John, but the most important message he ever gives because he's going to talk about his promise to return. See, he, he's, at the end of the week, he's going to be put to death. But he wants to talk about his second coming, his return. Do you know that the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned over 300 times in the scriptures? Do, do you know in the New Testament, one out of every 25 verses is about the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Every New Testament writer, every New Testament writer mentions the second coming of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, because of Jesus' claim and they reviewing, the high priest wants to know, are you a blasphemer? And so Jesus basically is arrested. And remember, he goes and he stands before this pseudo-court and, and he's under oath. And what's interesting is to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 26. Look at verse 59. Well, verse 57. He's under oath, or he's going to be under oath. Now, are we putting words in the mouth of Jesus? What did he say? Here's Jesus in court, under oath. Verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. Remember his father-in-law's Annas, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. It says verse 59, Now the chief priest of the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. That was the plan. So they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But, but later on, two came forward and said, Well, this man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Of course, when Jesus said that, he's talking about what? His body. About the fact that three days he's going to rise from the dead, even to be destroyed, the body. He says, verse 62, The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is this that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. Doesn't say a word. Well, the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ. So right there, the high priest puts him under oath. I adjure you under the living God, under oath. Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised Christ? Is he going to keep silent? And it says that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Why does he refer to himself as the Son of Man? Well, it's because in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had that great vision of the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne, judgment's about to come. <laughs> and it says, one like the Son of Man appears before the throne. And the Ancient of Days gives him a dominion, a kingdom forever and ever. And that's why the favorite title Jesus ever gave himself was what? The Son of Man. Because he's the one that's going to receive the kingdom as a gift from the Father and he says, and that's when you will see that the Father has given me the gift, and you will see, this was under oath, the Son of Man coming in the clouds.
to bring judgment and take his kingdom. That was all in this Olivet Discourse. That was Wednesday. Now Thursday, Jesus attends the last Passover. This is where in John 13, he washes the feet of the disciples. And this is where he gives the promise. Because he said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. And the promise he gives there is that it's important that I go, because if I go, I will ask the Father, and we will send you another, the Holy Spirit. One like me, but he'll not only be with you, remember the remarkable words, but he will be what? Within you. That God is going to leave part of himself in us. That's going to produce a big want we never had before. That's what Ezekiel 36 is all about. When he promises that God says, not only will I forgive your sins and wash your sins away, provide forgiveness by my son dying on the cross, but he says, I will rip out that old heart of stone and I'll put a new heart for I'll put my spirit within you who will cause you to want to keep my statutes. See, it's the spirit of God within you that gives you a whole new deep want. And the deep want is I want to honor God as my father. See, God's a creator, and he's got all kinds of creatures, dogs, cats, worms, pigs, and you. But Genesis 1.27 says, we're created in the image of, no animals made in the image of God, no angels that we see in Revelation bears the image of God, but we do. What's that all about? So that we can manifest what our creator's like. But he says that basically, I will place my spirit within you and give you desires you never had before. A desire to honor God as your father. Not to be afraid of him as your creator or ignore him as your creator, but to want all, like any kid. Remember when we were kids, we loved our dads? Boy, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad was a butcher. So he cut up animals all day, had, came home, white shirt, blood all over the place. Man, I went around and told all the neighborhoods, my dad cuts people up all day and you better not mess with me because my dad can take your dad. Because it's natural for a child to want to honor his father. So it is that in 2 Timothy 6, verse 18, God says, I will be a father to you, and you will be what? Sons and daughters to me. And therefore, his spirit, Jesus promises that the spirit of God, part of himself would be within us, giving us a desire that a son, a daughter would have to honor their father. And that promise he gives right here. And then on that, towards that evening, he moves to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. Now, some scholars believe this might have happened the night before, Wednesday night, and that Jesus was actually crucified on a Thursday. Uh, and every so many years, they'd have a double Passover. It was called the Passover Sabbath. And because of that, there was Passover on Friday and Saturday, so this all happened on Thursday. Well... It's possible, but most scholars and tradition goes, no, 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 it was, it was Friday and this last supper was Thursday night. But it's interesting, the arrest was after midnight. He goes to Gethsemane, you know the story. And there he's arrested, all the boys run. Peter hangs back. Young John, he's the only one that doesn't run, follows him all the way to the cross. But the trials, notice the trials before Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas, who was the present high priest, along with part of the Sanhedrin, and then he sent to Pilate, 
And then Pilate sends them to Herod Antipas, the Jewish king. And then Herod Antipas sends them back to Pilate. And with all the beating and the torture, this all happened that morning. It didn't happen over a week. It happened all within one morning. And the whole thing was illegal. For example, he was arrested at night. Illegal, according to Jewish law, by the way. He, it was a private night proceeding. Illegal, these aren't to be private and at night. Number three, the trial was held before sunrise. Illegal. The Sanhedrin was convened to try a capital offense on a day before the holy day, according to Jewish law. Illegal. The trial was concluded in one day for capital offense. Illegal. The members of the Sanhedrin who supported Jesus were not invited. The whole Sanhedrin wasn't there. Illegal. The trial was held in a home, not a court of law. Illegal. The charges were switched from blasphemy. And by the time they got the pilot, there was no blasphemy. Those were not the charges. They were switched to what? Treason. Illegal. Jesus would then be condemned, tortured, crucified, buried. It would all happen before 6 o'clock that evening. Because at 6 o'clock that evening, Sabbath begins. Saturday. Well, that'd be pretty much a bummer day, wouldn't you think? I mean, hopelessness for his followers. Even though, what did Jesus tell them? Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. Gentiles are going to take me, torture me, crucify me, kill me. But on the third day, I will rise from the dead. But remember what it says? They did not get it. Why? Do you go to your friends and say, Jesus was raised from the dead? And they go, really? Does that happen often? I mean, if the idea that a dead person rises from the dead, that is not natural. That is impossible to believe because we're so sophisticated. No, it was impossible for them to believe. And they're not as sophisticated as we claim to be. But so they were on this Saturday just hopeless because they never took Jesus seriously. That on the third day, he's coming back. He's coming back. And then there's Sunday. What would happen on Sunday? Well, that's where we all come next week and find out what happens on Sunday. That Lord's Day, that first day of the week. Remember Jesus said, because I live, you'll live also. You see, our hope is not in Christianity and it's not in the church. Our hope is not in Christians. Oh, God forbid. Our hope is in Jesus. Always keep Jesus the issue. Yeah, but what about? People say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And I usually say, yeah, there's always room for a few more. Come to my church. <laughs> but the reality is, it's about Jesus. There's a movie Holly and I went to see last night. Just out. And they're playing in the theaters all over. It's called His Only Son. You've got to see it. This is Easter week. If you're wondering if something you could do as part of Easter week to remind you of Holy Day, His Only Son. 
Shade Theater. When you're 73, get a deal, senior pass there. But either way, it's worth the full, even if you're not a senior. But his only son, make sure. And that's the situation after you go, you'll, you'll go a second time and you'll bring some friends, because Holly and I are going to. Because it really, you think it's about Abraham. It's all said and done, oh no. This is about his only son, Jesus Christ. So what happened the week before? A lot happened the week before. That showed you that God was behind this whole thing because in Isaiah 53, which is an interesting chapter, early Christians, did you know this? Early Christians, the first uh, 100 years, 200 years of the church, uh, they didn't have a Bible. You know, the New Testament had been written. Guess what they used to share with their Jewish friends the gospel? Chapter 53 of Isaiah. Because it's a full description of the gospel and the, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 53 it says, And God, God offered to the Son, if He would become a guilt offering, then God would prolong His days and give Him rule in a kingdom. That's why Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus did not volunteer. Jesus was asked by the Father, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. But he asked the Son. And the Son said, not my will, but thy will be done. And even though it broke every Hebrew law, every law of logic, right now, you decided that you wanted to be executed by the state of Arizona but you have to do it today can anybody think of a way to do that can't be done unless the father had designed the whole thing that's why the Jews didn't kill Jesus don't be anti-semitic uh, even the Italians the Romans didn't really kill Jesus but rather the father gave his son, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that God in his holiness, his justice, would pour his wrath upon our sin, but on the cross, on his own son, to provide that substitution. That's what it means Jesus died in our place. But have you ever tried to forgive somebody who doesn't believe they need forgiveness? It's the only thing stopping you from heaven. It's only when you come to a point and you tell the truth. I have committed the cosmic, the cosmic betrayal. Because my creator, I've turned my back on. I treat my creator with indifference. I don't care anything about who he is or what he has said. And me, myself, and I, I am my own trinity. And this is to our creator. And thus the wages of sin, separation from God forever, it's death. How do you forgive somebody who denies the need of forgiveness? You can't. But that's what repentance is all about. It's just telling the truth. It's owning up to the truth that you know. God, I'm a sinner. I've walked away from you. I've been indifferent to you. And I, I need the forgiveness that you provided through your son Jesus Christ on the cross, that this whole holy week broke all the laws of logic, of legality, of nature, 
so that provision would be provided for you and me. What would hold you back? Just the fact that you don't believe. Ask yourself, how is it possible you don't believe? And my prayer is that God would open your eyes. Like Jesus said in John 6, and 45, Jesus admitted, no one comes unto me. No one's going to believe who I am and what I did on the cross. No one will come unto me unless the what? The Father draws him. In verse 45, says, The prophets say, My Father in heaven will cause you to recognize, to learn of who Jesus Christ really is. That's my prayer. That your heart be open enough to let God the Father open your eyes. And for the rest of us who do follow Christ, Remember, your hope is not in Christians. It's not in the church. It's not even in Christianity. So argue all the theological issues you want to argue. But our hope is in one person. Who is it? And he's the one we're going to see rise from the dead next week and celebrate it. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to just take this tour of Easter together to realize how this whole thing came about, where it's going and how it's all going to end up at the end. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege of getting a glimpse of all this so deep in our hope, our faith. And those who have chosen not to believe, Lord, I pray, I pray you would draw them to yourself. And this I ask in the name of Christ, to your honor and glory. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.